Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Well, tonight, uh, Developing a Forerunner Culture, this is session seven, an ardent commitment to fasting. And it's, uh, it's kind of fun the way that um, Caitlin and uh, Sebastian just kind of gave a little bit of a segue unintentionally. I was already thinking about some of that language as it relates to fasting. The idea that there has been a group of people that have been laying hold to make this ministry happen for 17 years. Um, it doesn't, this ministry doesn't just exist. This ministry took people going, I'm going to make the house of prayer my thing. I'm going to put a bunch of energy and time and effort into this. I'm going to help this thing advance. And part of that, of course, just think about how, how negatively impacted the spiritual culture would be around here if we only had workers but those workers weren't connected to Jesus. Those workers didn't have an intimate prayer life. Those workers weren't <clears throat> actually reaching to grow in their life in God. The, the spiritual climate would be dull and just crusty, not good. So when I think about people that are helping us build and that have been just instrumental in, I, I love the, the picture that, <laughs> that Sebastian just gave, he's like, and I can't even imagine my life without this place. And there's a number of people that would say that. Those people, it's not just that they're around here and they're being helpful and they're you know, on volunteer staff or whatever they're doing. It's also that they're chasing God in this room. And so therefore, they've got something to give. It's transforming them on the inside. Uh, they're being, they are being transformed. And then what a high caliber type person to have on our staff or have a, in our community helping us build. And so I, I kind of put all those things together because a significant piece of that pursuit, a significant uh, piece of really our culture and our DNA around here and the byproduct uh, that we, got, we all get to experience of fruit of the Spirit, loving God, tenderness, a prophetic spirit in our midst, so much of that is actually connected back to this subject of fasting. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Now I've got a few objectives in this session, and these are kind of the broad strokes. Getting down to the details will be the job of the whole session tonight. But I can remember when I first came to Christ, and there were so many things I was reading in the Bible because I just started reading the Bible. I, somebody told me to do that. I said, here's a Bible just started reading. I didn't know what else to do. I felt very behind on Christianity because I'd been to church like three times in my life and was mostly making fun of the pastor uh, those three times. Um, and so I didn't have any Bible background or anything. And so I was just reading the Word. I can remember being so uh, uh, dumbfounded and conflicted, reading so many things in the Bible that I wasn't seeing happen in real life around me in the church. I was just like, when do we start doing this stuff? Like, where is, what are we, why are we not doing this? What is this? What is this? Somewhere in there, uh, I, somebody gave me a book on fasting or told me fasting was a good idea, and then I saw a couple verses, and, and I just started reading books on fasting, and I decided I'm going to go for this. I am going to let this be a real part of my life, and, uh, and so by the time we started TPR, um, I already had five or six years of history 
of, uh, of a personal life of fasting. And most of that didn't look pretty, but it was sincere. And uh, I'll talk a little bit on that later uh, if we're given the, the time. But my, my objective here tonight is to kind of paint a picture, a little bit of our history, but it's to provide an overall picture of what fasting is and some of what it isn't by default, to get rid of some common misunderstandings, some, some misconceptions about fasting, some things that are totally inaccurate and some things that are off a little bit, but the little bit that they're off taints it so much that it changes it entirely. Uh, And then also to recruit us into this. I want for us to start thinking about fasting, as part of the misunderstandings part, as normal, as currently much neglected, and maybe you would even do a little survey of your own life and go, yeah, probably much neglected in my life too, and seen as a burden instead of as a blessing and an invitation. Those are some of the uh, misgivings or or misinterpretations that people have. And I think it's, it then makes it difficult to recruit people into fasting, but I want to. I want, as a community, I want us to sign up. Many of you, this is already a part of your life. Some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, get me out of this room before he gives one Bible verse that backs up this idea, that this is a good idea. Um, but I, I feel the Lord giving us an invitation, and an invitation into depth I mean, real depth and, and intimacy and uh, just so many blessings that he wants to give. And when we do this, we enter into a vulnerable place. When we fast, we become very vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, our spirits come alive. And so there's just kind of a quick overview of where we're going. All right, so fasting in the life of the believer Uh this is one of the things that separates forerunners, is a, is a true embracing of the fasted lifestyle. Now, that term can mean a lot of things. Tonight, I'm specifically focusing on the fasting part of the fasted lifestyle. And so just allow me that for those of you that know that term means more than that. But for those, uh, th- this subject of being a forerunner uh, requires, it just, it requires a fasted lifestyle because of all the things that God wants to do in a forerunner that require a yielding that can't be accomplished outside of fasting. There are just, there's some things that happen in fasting that can't happen to the human soul any other way. And God wrote it in that way. And it's on purpose. And so we're talking about as a, as believers, not just talking about fasting. I think Probably fasting isn't much talked about anywhere, mostly, and it's even less done anywhere. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to actually do it. We want this to be so normal. And part of what I want to talk about in this section here, uh, section two, fasting's place in the life of the believer, is without fasting, there are some significant deficiencies in the life of a Christian that... Until you begin fasting, you don't even realize those deficiencies weren't normal. You don't even realize those deficiencies, you didn't have to put up with those. You didn't realize because you'd never done the fasting thing with any measure of regularity. I'm not pointing at any fingers, I'm just, any fingers at anybody, I'm just trying to identify there are deficiencies. There are areas that 
could be more excellent that we will never know what a non-deficient version of that thing is in our life until we enter into the grace of fasting. There's deficiencies. Like, oh, I don't like that word. I, I like to try to do things the best that I can, and I hate it when stuff doesn't work. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I want to tell you there are things not working in the lives of many, many Christians because they aren't fasting. Fasting gives us access to grace and things in the Lord that not fasting, you don't have it. And so there's, there's areas of weakness there. Another piece, uh, key piece of this that I hope for us to see is that actually the subject of fasting, it's, it's not really optional. Not really. I mean, the Bible says do it. So the Bible says, like, be nice. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that. So it's like not being nice isn't optional. Well, I sure can be not nice if I want to be. Okay, but yeah, but you're outside of what God wants. So if the Bible says it, then it's actually, it's not an optional thing. Though our culture, and I don't mean the lost world, I mean our church culture has made this very, very optional. In fact, it's painted a very wrong picture of the subject of fasting. Radical Christians fast. Everybody else doesn't because that's just like what crazy, really committed Christians do. That is a wrong idea. And it's one that is sept into our Christian culture in a profound way. But the Bible does not talk about fasting that way. The Bible talks about it the exact opposite. And so that's what we're going to look at. All right, some fasting in the Old Testament. Not that you needed it. But I wanted uh, to make sure that we saw that fasting isn't just a new idea or a New Testament idea. Uh, We've got here Jeremiah, Isaiah, and David all talking about fasting in a very normative sense. I mean, they're describing fasting and their participation in fasting as just a very normal part of life. And they're not the only ones. I just gave you three. There's a bunch of others that could be listed um, on this list. But just looking over those verses, I just want you to you know, give, way, or, uh, give a look at that when you have a chance. And just check it that we're talking about three different authors, three different main characters in the Bible. Jeremiah, Isaiah, David. All talking about fasting like a normal thing. They're just saying, you know, hey, this is what we do. John the Baptist fasted. Part of the reason I want to bring this up is John the Baptist was helping usher in a transition of, a, of, uh, of the expression of the kingdom. Is John the Baptist was the forerunner for Jesus, and he came with fasting, and he taught his guys to fast. It was very normal. And so here's John the Baptist who's kind of like, punching a hole in the kingdom of darkness that Jesus is then coming through. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus, and he does it with a lifestyle of fasting, and he's got disciples he's raising up. And, I mean, man, they went from parties all the time to to a lot of fasting. And it's like there was something about the genetics, the DNA of fasting that got into the primary forerunner that we have in the Bible, John the Baptist, and into those that he was discipling. This was a very normal part of that age transition. Or age is the wrong terminology, but that, that transition in the kingdom of God, when we transitioned from old covenant to new covenant, when we gone from Jesus has never been here before, living on the earth, to now he's here in the flesh, the Messiah has come. John the Baptist helps usher that in. And so I gave you there a verse on John the Baptist. Okay, Jesus fasted. Look at Matthew 4.2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, amen. That should have an exclamation point after it. Uh, after 40 days and 40 nights. That is, that is a 
opportunity for, for hunger. Not only did Jesus fast, we've got this example that is explicit, but Jesus talked and taught about fasting in a very normative way that we, we know for sure he was fasting more than just this one time that he did this 40-day fast. I mean, it's, it's clear from the way that he talked about it and taught uh, related to the principle of fasting. So you've got Jesus, the founder of our faith, the, you know, the, the firstborn of many brothers. We've got Jesus, son of God, fasted. And we talk about, we want to be like Jesus. We, what would Jesus do? Jesus would not eat food. I mean, that's one of the WWJD. Jesus would not eat. Jesus would fast. Fasting is a part of who of, of Christ's expression of the kingdom, of, of our way in the spirit. Jesus talked about fasting as normal. Just look at this, Matthew 6.16. It's so crazy that this is in our Bibles, and yet in our culture, we have just, I think, I, here's what I think happened. I think a long time ago, people started to realize fasting hurts. It's not a lot of fun. There's parts of fasting that are not a lot of fun, and that's true. There's a lot of pieces that are fun, but there's some pieces that aren't. And I think people were like, we need to, we need to stop this. We need to not do this. We need to stop talking about this as normal. We need to stop advertising it. And I think after generation after generation after generation, it became so normal to never talk about fasting that when someone does, we look at them peculiar. What are you, you mean really not eating food for real? Like for days or something? Really? But this is what Jesus said. When you fast. And then he gave some instructions. Don't do it in a way that draws attention. It says your Lord see, or your Father sees you. He says, when you fast. Not if. Check that out. It doesn't say if you fast. It says you're a Christian when you fast. Because if you're a believer, this is a part of being a believer. When you fast, then here's some instructions about it. Oh my gosh, that is just so normal, assume the sale, ordinary, everyday Christianity kind of a thing. Jesus just, he says, when you fast, of course you're going to fast. I know you're going to, you're Christians, that's what you do. It's not all you do, but it's part of the list. Wow, that is, that is very different. I just, just think about this for a second. If this Sunday, now I'm just, I'm just trying to get us a little perspective here on where we're at as a culture. If this Sunday, every pastor got up in their congregational pulpit or whatever, and when they started their message, they said the statement, hey, when you fast, here's how you do it. How many congregations would hear that and contextually, that would even make sense at all. I mean, that would be like the most bizarre statement in most places. When you fast, we're like, what do you, when we, we've never fasted a day in our life. What are you talking about? When we, yeah, you know, when you fast, it's the normal Christian thing. It's not normal. We don't do, I tried that one time for two hours when I was 16 and never tried it again. It's like the idea of when you fast, but Jesus talks about it like it's totally normal. Hey, when you do this, and it's in a list of other things, giving, praying. He's like, yeah, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, just normal stuff. Jesus taught that his followers would fast. 
says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. The disciples of Jesus will fast. Wow. Okay, so my point is, it's very biblical. The not biblical thing connected to fasting is our cultural approach that says, it's weird, nobody does it, you don't have to do it, it's not normal, it's a really irregular part of Christianity, it's like for the superstars or something. That's not anywhere in the Bible, but it's big time in our culture. And the reason I'm kind of like... um, enthusiastic about this, I've got a lot of opinion on this, is because it's depriving us. That mentality is actually robbing us of encounters with God, of depth of understanding, of intimacy. It is robbing us. God didn't say when you fast, Jesus, didn't say when you fast to punish us. He said when you fast because he wanted it to be so normal because he understands the benefits now, let's look at some of the, uh, the purposes of fasting that we've got in the Bible. We're going to do purposes, and then we're going to do benefits, okay? I want to make a distinction there. Purposes in the Bible. Fasting for breakthrough. 2 Samuel 12, 16. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. I don't know if you caught this. David is trying to get God to change his mind. He's going, God, I need a breakthrough, We've got a dire situation. I'm going to fast in order to try to turn your mind, turn your attention. So fasting for breakthrough is a biblical reason. Corporate fasting for revival. Look at this, Joel 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And then he starts to define what all your heart will require. With fasting, weeping, and mourning. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. We see here the role of ushering in revival, of getting God to leave behind a blessing, to overturn, you know, an impending judgment for God to bring on a, a massive move of God and a corporate response, a corporate group of people fasting for revival. And there's more to it than that, but it's definitely part of it. So corporate fasting for revival is another piece of fasting. Fasting for revelation. We see Daniel. I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting. And while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have come to you. I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. So this is Daniel having a power encounter with an angel, the angel Gabriel, and it's related to Daniel's fasting and prayer. So here we see fasting and prayer has a connection to revelation. So fasting and prayer isn't just for breakthrough or revival. Fasting and prayer also connects to Getting revelation that otherwise would not have been had. So that's an important detail. Go, wow, there's a way to get more revelation from God's throne, from him, from from his word. There's a way to get more revelation, and it's connected to fasting. Wow. Well, I want revelation. I want the word of God to be alive. I can remember in the early years reading the word and it being so boring and dry. I was pained by it. 
And I wanted revelation. I wanted a spirit of revelation that Ephesians 1.17 we keep praying for. <clears throat> Part of the way to get Ephesians 1.17 on your life is fasting. There is connection between fasting and revelation. Next, fasting to have power. Look at Jesus. Jesus in Mark 9. So he said to them, this kind can only come out or comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this is Jesus describing a demonic oppression, a demonic situation where a person is uh, possessed by a, a demon and they've tried to cast it out and Jesus is like, you can't cast this one out. You don't have the authority. You don't have enough power on your life to get that demon out of there. Well, how do we get power on our life? You have to actually have fasting as a part of your lifestyle. And I've told you guys not to do that right now, but that you'll do it when I leave. He said, but unless you have fasting as a part of your life, there are certain things you don't have power to do. Wow. Well, that's painful. <laughs> There's stuff you can do if you have a life of fasting and stuff you can't do if you don't. And it's the same person. And the, and the person may well be practicing a hundred other disciplines of the faith and walking in righteousness. But Jesus flat out says, look, there is such a thing as a thing in the kingdom you can't do unless you fast. And we should not think it's just that one thing. Just that one demon type is the only thing. There are plenty of things that you just can't do without fasting as a part of, the, of your life. But that's why Jesus said, when you fast, because he's expecting that believers would fast. He says, the bridegroom's going to be taken, and then you'll fast. He's expecting that fasting would be a normal part of Christianity so that we could actually have power on our lives to accomplish those things that can't be accomplished without fasting as a part of our life. Fasting for an increase of intimacy. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? <clears throat> the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. What Jesus is communicating here isn't just that the fact of fasting will happen. He's giving some of the significant reasons why, and he's introducing kind of a new idea here that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But he's saying, actually, you can increase your intimacy. You can have a reach. He says, I'm going to be gone. He says, you don't need to fast while I'm here. I'm here. Fasting, a significant part of fasting is to draw near to God, is to get me close. He says, I can't get any closer. I'm walking right next to you guys. He says, but there's time coming when I won't be here. And then you'll fast. And by doing so, you'll draw nearer to me and my spirit will draw near to you. Now, that's a new idea. That was one that wasn't clearly understood in the Old Testament teachings about fasting. That was one that Jesus, he, he pulls out of the depths of Revelation, that, that sapphire blue sea of, of Revelation before the throne. That He pulls that out and gives that to the church and says, listen, fasting for intimacy is now part of the package. Wow, cool. Fasting is an act of worship. Look at this one. Luke 2 and then Acts 13. This is Anna, the prophetess. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day. Fasting and praying. Fasting and praying were part of the expression of the prophetess Anna's worship to God. Fasting is worship. I mean, if you make it that. 
Really, a lot of things can be worship if you make it that. But they also aren't that if you don't make it that. But for her, it was. I mean, it got recorded in the Bible. She worshiped God. How? By fasting and praying. Wow. Cool. Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. See this connection again between worship and fasting. This, this connection point. that that's, It's part of the dialogue of worship. <coughs> it's part of the dialogue of reaching for God and encountering God. So I'm just trying to give you some biblical reasons for fasting, and there might be some others that I didn't include, but I think this gives a pretty good uh, overview of the reasons that the Bible gives for fasting. Well, before we talk about the benefits, let's talk about the costs, because <laughs> they're real, and I don't want to downplay these costs like these aren't real, because some of you are going to hear this tonight, and you're going to go for it. You're going to be like, I'm going to fast. Okay, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to do it. Well, I also want to give you some honest um, uh, commentary on some of the difficulties. Because this is, is very real. Fasting is a violent undertaking. I mean, this is as much the violent take it by force in the kingdom of God as it gets, actually. This is a really intense thing. First idea is uh, 2 Corinthians 12.10. When we're weak, and I'll just tell you, fasting makes you weak in a lot of ways. We're going to look at those costs here in a second. When you're weak, you kind of get out of the way. Part of our problem in our life, in our difficulties, in the things that we haven't yet been, over to, been able to overcome, part of our problem is we're too strong still. And when we're strong, we do it in our own flesh, our own power, and our own strength. And God's like, yeah, but actually, let me teach you a different lesson about the kingdom that no lost person can ever understand. It says this. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What in the world is Paul saying? He's saying, actually, <clears throat> when I'm too weak, when I don't have the strength to fight it, to win it, to overcome it, to do it, when I am weak, I know the secret of leaning into God and going, God, I can't, therefore you do it. And then God does it. And Paul goes, I am able to do stuff I'm not able to do, but I'm not able to do it because I got stronger. I'm able to do it because I got weaker and I got out of the way and I let God do it instead of me doing it. It's a profound lesson in the kingdom that I can't think of anything that I'm aware of. This is just a personal thought. I can't think of anything that I'm aware of that expresses this more than fasting. I mean, there's plenty of ways that express it. But the, the concept of weakening yourself on purpose, voluntary weakness, where you don't have to be weak. You don't have to. You could be strong. When you eat, you're strong. When you don't eat, you're weak. And as long as you have the choice of eating and not eating, if you didn't eat and you had the choice, you became weak on purpose of your own choosing, your own volition. And Paul says, I delight in my weakness because in my weakness, God shows up and does stuff I can't see, I can't do, I can't make happen in my own strength. I don't know about you. I want some God stories. 
I want to see God show up in my weakness and show up and do stuff that I couldn't do. And then I can't even take credit for it. I want to just go, he did that. It's awesome. That is really, really cool the way that you showed up and that you did that. And this is a principle that, again, it's a kingdom principle. But it big time applies to this subject of fasting. His grace is enough. Look at this. That should say Second uh, Chronicles. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians, not Second Chronicles. 12, 9. It's just the verse right before the one we just read. So Second Chronicles 12, 9. <coughs> he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, I want to say this to you. Some of you in this room, just be real. There's no reason. This isn't like, you know, good or bad or big kids or little kids. It's just real. Just be real. Some of you in this room, I am going to guess, have never experienced Christ's power resting on you in weakness and allowing you to do supernatural things that you can't do in your own strength. Here's a way to fix the problem. Here is a way to begin to posture yourself to start experiencing Christ's power operating through you and doing things you know you that was past your bandwidth. That was past your IQ. That was past your strength. That was past your ability. You know I can't do that, but it just happened, and it looks like I did it, but God and I both know who really did it. It is the coolest thing, and the idea that fasting is for the elite has robbed the body of Christ of experiences of Christ's power resting on you in your weakness, allowing you to do things that are way bigger than what you can do. But that's the way the kingdom moves forward. How bad off is the kingdom if it's really in our control and within and our power. I mean, how bad off, how, how spiritually, you know, decrepit is the kingdom of God if the whole kingdom can be moved forward without God's help? It's God's kingdom, but he's like, now you guys just move it forward in your own strength. I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to do nothing. We need to get God involved in stuff. And when God gets involved, more happens in your life. More happens in your relationships. More happens in your ministry. Stuff starts happening when you get God involved. But, the, but a significant way, I'm not going to say it's the only way, but a significant way to get God involved is to posture yourself in weakness. And I can think of no better way to do it than fasting. All right. Well, let's look at some of the, <laughs> some of the pain, some of the costs. Physical productivity goes... When you fast, you're depriving your body of calories, nutrients, fuel. And when you do that, your physical capacities are limited. Now, it's different for every person, different in every season, every fast. I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors. But overall, a general statement is when you fast, your muscles are not as strong. You don't move as fast. There's a lot of things about fasting that impact your physical productivity. Look at this. I love the way that uh, David writes in Psalm 109, 24 about this. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin and gaunt. 
It's like, man, David, I don't know that this is such a good sales pitch for fasting, bro. He's describing some of the very real ramifications of fasting. It, it touches your physical frame. Oh, but man, if that weren't bad enough, it touches your brain. To me, this is even worse. It's like you get all fuzzy thinking and you can't really get the words out. They're kind of like you feel like you're in a cloud and the words you're looking for are just outside that cloud. And it's like, I just, I can't reach out there and get them in here with me because it's all kind of fuzzy in here. Fasting causes your mental capacity to be reduced. This is weakness. This is weak. Oh my gosh, this is weakness. Mental capacity, because there's a lot in our culture and life, which looks a bit different from like uh, an agriculture, you know, culture, an agrarian society or whatever. It looks different in our culture where using your brain is much of your work. Using your brain is how you get a lot of things done instead of you go out to the field and you plow. That still happens, but I mean, around here, there's not a ton of people that are doing that as a full-time gig. So you like, you're using your brain to do stuff, but oh, your brain is misfiring. Your brain is not cooperating. Your brain is going, you know how your body feels weak? Well, Mr. Brain feels weak too. And just like your arm is having a hard time picking up that gallon of milk that you always used to be able to pick up with such ease, now it's just, oh, come on, gallon. Your brain is having the same trip. And it's like, I can't pick up a gallon of milk in my mind for the life of me. You can't even focus on a gallon of milk. Your brain starts to get fuzzy. Your mental capacities are limited. They're, they're hindered. It slows down. That's the best way I can describe it. Fasting causes your brain to just slow you can get there eventually, maybe, but it slows you down. Oh, man, but the worst, here's, here's what I decided a long time ago, and this is just, this is painful. I hope it hurts you as bad as it hurts me. I decided a long time ago, when I started fasting and I found how quick-tempered I was and how hangry and how irritated and how, like, short patience, short fuse, like, get on with it, go, let's go. And how, like, shaky and not a lot of fun. I realized something that pained me to no end. I heard somebody say a positive thing, and I realized it was a total lie. And here's what I heard somebody say. They say, oh, well, I'm this way when I'm fasting because I haven't had any food. And I'm like, no. No, that's the problem. Food is something that you got that made you something. This is who you are. Without food, this is the real you. This is the real you. Oh, no, I hate the real me. I'm mean and sassy. and I'm, I just, I'm an awful person when I'm fasting because I'm an awful person. We've lied to ourselves that when we're all crutched up and we've got all the nutrients we want and our circumstances are fine and we're not being pushed or pinched in any way, that that's the real us in our perfect condition. When everything is perfect, perfect scenarios, that's the real me. No, friends, when you're in the gutter, that's the real you. When you are reduced, when things are lacking, and oh, 
The fruit of the Spirit. It just looks like a bunch of cuss words to me when I'm fasting. It's just like, I can't. Those words just hurt so bad. Well, I'm fasting because I'm like, I know I am supposed to be patient right now, but I don't want to. I want to be stabbing. That's what I want to do. I don't want to be patient. I want to stab. It's like the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> whether you're fasting or not fasting, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, be gentle, and self-controlled. Oh, Lord, no. And what I've realized over the course of time is actually the real test of the fruit of the Spirit is when I'm fasting, not when I'm not fasting. And there are other trials that can help press you a little bit and see what comes out of the grape when you get pressed. But that one's just, that was a real big deal. The subject, weakness, voluntary weakness. I'm on purpose positioning myself to not have the strength to fight against anger, resentment, whatever. And in that pinch, I'm actually needing grace from God that I could operate in the fruit of Brad. No, the fruit of the Spirit. We enter into the fruit of His Spirit. And I think fasting actually really helps with that. So I'll give you a little sales pitch here. I think we've all heard advertised that the fruit of the Spirit is a good thing and that we're longing for it. Let me tell you the best way to get it in your life. Fasting. Because honestly, you, you don't even really get to the root of the anti-fruit until you start fasting and you get weak and now have to lean on the Lord to genuinely express love. Lean on the Lord to genuinely express joy. So I, I want to advertise to you the subject of the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> I think the, the, maybe the greatest ally you've got in growing in that is fasting and seeing really how bad off you are in all those areas. And then from there, you've got a true starting point. <laughs> because when we're propped up, it's a lie, friends. It's a lie. You find out what's in a kid when someone takes their toy. Man, they are happy when that toy's in their hand. But when someone comes and steals their toy, someone comes and steals your cheeseburger. Oh, no, you stole it from yourself and threw it out the window. That's when you get pinched. That's when the real you comes out when you've done throwing your cheeseburger. Physical aches. There's a long list. Some common ones, dizziness, headaches, hunger pains, diarrhea, fairly common. I mean, these are not fun things. Like, who would want to sign up for this on purpose? When you fast, Jesus is like, <laughs> when they fast, they're going to get the wah-wahs. Like, fasting, this is violent. This is really intense. This is like, and that's just, that's just some of the most common ones. There's a longer list of stuff like, oh, no, when I fast. Because here's what happens. Your body is convinced you're trying to kill it. You're not feeding it like you were yesterday, and it knows the difference. It's like, this is not what we were made for, man. We were made for cheeseburgers. And you threw it out the window, dum-dum. So, boom, here's a headache. Here's achy bones. Here's whatever, long list, dizziness, <coughs> headaches, whatever. Oh, no. 
Yeah, and this is this is part of the package. I mean, some things you can do to make it lessened and all that, but these are these are kind of this happens. It's kind of bad. Oh my gosh, your metabolism just oh gosh, this is like the worst. It's just it's like cruelty to animals, and I'm the animal. <laughs> is that when you fast, your metabolism gets jacked up. I don't mean if you fast once, but if you build fasting in as a part of your life. Your body is like very confused because it's like sometimes you feed us and sometimes you don't. And so when you don't, we are storing up fat. We are going to store up every calorie we can and we're going to put it in places we feel like safe, like your hips and your butt and your gut. We're going to put it there because we don't know when you're going to feed us again. And then you start eating and your body goes, it's a trap. He's lying. He's going to do this to us again. He's going to not. I know it. I, you know what we need to do? Store up more. Store, store, store. And sometime later, your body finally goes, oh, okay, okay. We can stop storing. And then you know what you do? You go on another fast. And your body is like, we're done. We're done trying. We're not playing anymore. From now on, this person's metabolism is permanently jacked up. It's just it messes with you. And again, there's some things that you can do. Age, weight, physical activity, all these things play into it. There's a lot of things, but it's, it's painful because it's like, oh, no. Fasting will actually cause me to gain weight? That's the devil. That, that doesn't make I didn't eat. How did I gain weight by not eating? I don't, it's the craziest thing. Fasting, it, it touches on this. And I just, I want to tell you, like, I hate that. I hate that that's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. But there's a cost. And we, we want these costs. We want to understand in our mind these costs equal sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Giving the verse that I've given you a number of times in this. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burn offerings that cost me nothing. <clears throat> Fasting and every one of these pain points is a part of our offering that we're giving him. The ache, the pain, the dizziness, even the issues with metabolism. It's, it's an offering that we give him. We go, I'm giving this to you because I love you. I'm giving this to you because I recognize this is part, when you said, when you fast, when you said, the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they'll fast, when you said, gather together and declare a fast, when you said fasting was a part of normal life as a Christian, I am doing it, and I'm not mad about it. And I am lifting these pinch points, because the pinch points, they're real. You can't just say, ah, oh, it's fine, there's never anything wrong. You're a liar, you've never fasted before in your life. If you've ever found, there are pinch points. Instead, we celebrate the cost and we go, God, I give this to you. This is part of my offering that I lift to you. Doesn't that just sound beautiful? That's a beautiful expression of worship. That's a beautiful thing to love God with. I mean, that's, that's a very different thought process than it's just a burden. Well, now let's look at the benefits of fasting. I'll just say it this way. Fasting inclines us. Fasting doesn't magically do anything. <clears throat> fasting doesn't overcome your free will. Fasting, but it inclines us. 
it causes us to lean a certain direction a little bit more easily. It inclines us. It's connected to this idea of give and it will be given to you. You remember we were looking at that in Luke 6.38. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That kingdom principle works on just about anything. The more nice you are to people, the more people want to be nice to you. The more money you give away in the kingdom, the more money God will give back. The more you fast, the more you will experience the grace of God that comes with fasting. So there is, a, there is something about the, the amount, the measure, the frequency, the length. I mean, there's some, something about the, the weight of it. It's like, okay, well, if I fast one day a year, will I experience the fullness of what God can give in fasting? Absolutely not. Two days a year, you still know. Whatever number, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you the number. I just want you to understand with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this subject of fasting is like, some of you in the room might go, well, I, I did fast one time last year. Cool, that's great. But like with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Like this isn't supposed to be a foreign idea. This is supposed to be a part of our life in God. Whoa, that is new. The fruit of humility. I, I think humility is one, of the most, is one of the most important aspects of the entire kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus described himself as meek and lowly. He said, come to me. I am meek and lowly. I am, I am a humble person. And we know what the word of God says. He gives us more grace. The scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Look what Psalm 35 says, I humbled myself with fasting. And my prayer would return to my own heart. It says, I humbled myself with fasting. I want you to think about this. It's a really humbling thing to do. You think about the idea of a humbling conversation that you don't want to have with somebody. You were in the wrong. You go and you humble yourself. You say, listen, I did this thing. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? It's a very humbling thing to do when you, when you go and you ask somebody for forgiveness. What you're doing there is you are choosing the low road. You are choosing on purpose to posture yourself in a, in a humbled position so that you can receive something from the party that you've offended. Forgiveness, hopefully. Fasting is a, is, carries the similar thought process you're going to God with fasting. You didn't have to. You didn't have to go to God with fasting. You're choosing. And by going to God with fasting, you have now become weak instead of strong. You have positioned yourself in voluntary weakness. You position yourself in a humble position. And the Lord looks at that and goes, oh, I like that. I like that you've come before me, not with your strength. You've come before me in weakness and you're asking me for help. Oh, man, fasting and humility are more connected than we're thinking. Because what happens is, oh, this is one of the greatest benefits. When we fast, we weaken our will. We, I, there are only a few things in life stronger than the human drive to eat. It, because it's tied into the drive uh, to, to live. It's, it's tied to the, the drive to continue to exist. 
And so the fight for survival and the subject of eating are interconnected to choose, to sacrifice that, to cut that. It's one of the most intrinsic things to humans that we eat food to, to take on violence and decide, I'm going to not do that for this season of time. You do violence to yourself, you are actually beginning to crucify your flesh in a way you can't crucify it any other way in the kingdom. Because <coughs> you are literally crucifying your, your flesh. You are literally weakening <coughs> your flesh, your physical ability. This whole subject of humility and going before the Lord and weakening ourselves on purpose, you weaken your will, it causes you to get stronger in so many ways. It ca- I mean, just thinking about the idea of working out and you're pushing against the pressures of those weights. And what's happening is you're strengthening your muscle. You're voluntarily pushing harder, harder. And it's winding up making your body stronger because you're pushing. When you fast, you are pushing against your will. And you strengthen your muscle of being able to submit your will to God in other areas because you've submitted your will to God in the area of fasting, (coughs) which is intrinsic to your survival is eating food. You've gone, I trust you so much, I'm even going to cut myself on, on the strength of food, of eating, and by doing that, I am stretching the muscle. I am working the muscle that I can actually live on less. I can actually operate on less. It's a very humbling posture. All right, well, what else? Our spirits come alive. (coughs) I know that Psalm 63 doesn't mention fasting. The language kind of seems to touch at it a little bit. I don't think it's a fasting verse. But I think it really does paint the picture of what happens when we fast. It says this in Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Anybody's ever done a long fast? Doesn't that just sound like a, the thing a person would say when they're fasting? And that's the language that just would come out of your mouth. Like, oh, despair, agony, agony. It's a dry and weary land. It's like, it's Pantigo, dude. <laughs> My soul thirst. No, you just really want something sweet. You just... You want to get a milkshake and you're complaining. But I look at this and it's like, but it does cause your soul to ache. There is something when you, when you fast, your spirit becomes more alive because just as a little thought process here, you're never more alive than when you think you're going to die. And your body is in crisis. Your body is in turmoil. It's like, what is happening? Things are not okay. And it causes your spirit to reach, which is the point. See, fasting is to get you weak on purpose so that your spirit can actually reach in a way. Your spirit, it has such a difficult time fighting through your strong man. When you're good to go, you're strong, you've got everything you need. (coughs) The spirit has a difficult time getting through that to soar. We weaken ourselves by fasting and the spirit inside of us soars. This is why... There is no version of fasting outside of not eating food. There's plenty of sacrifice. We did a whole, sub, uh, whole session on sacrifices galore that God honors that are good, that are awesome, but it's not fasting. 
Fasting has to be food because you have to be dying. You have to be slowly dying for the process to work. You're losing your physical strength. You're weakening your frame. And your spirit then is reaching up out of that and is starting to soar. I want my spirit alive. I fast because I want to feel God. I want my spirit alive. I, I want to feel God. I want, to, I want those weakness moments to turn into strength moments of connecting with God, which is how the process works. I don't like being weak. I don't like any of these problems that come with it. There's just a bunch of stuff. But, but I do want my spirit to soar. And I'll just tell you, I got addicted to this early because I realized you touch something in the realm of fasting that you don't touch any other way. Access to revelation. It gave you the, the Daniel verse again, but there are many examples in the word that we see a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. I want to throw in fasting. It's a crucial element. Prayer and fasting equals divine revelation from God more on the life of the vessel that's entered into a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Like, I don't want to just read the word. I want to read the word and have divine inspiration jumping out the page. I don't want to just live my life in God. I want to have dreams and visions. and I want to encounter God. And the, the biblical uh, pattern is that those that live lifestyles of prayer and fasting have increased revelation from God. Why? Because their flesh is weak and their spirit is soaring. So their spirit inside them, which was created by God to connect to God, their spirit has now got an easier access to touch God. It doesn't, it doesn't force anything. It inclines you. It inclines you to have more revelation. It, it postures you like an open you know, cup or an open bowl as opposed to one with your hand over it. A little bit of water can drip through your hand. But man, I just want that cup open and catch as much as I can. This is part of the, the glory of fasting is access to revelation. And then fasting breaks your will. I just I put that on there. I, was, we talked about it. But I, I, I want for you, if that's an idea that you've never thought of, or if I was totally unclear, and you're like, I don't know what Brad was talking about. I want you to meditate on that one for a little while and ask the Lord how fasting helps you break your own will. You know, we pray, Father, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, yours. A significant part of our battle is our will. That we want stuff more than we want the word of God. We want stuff more than we want the plan of God. We want stuff more than we want righteousness. Our problem is we want so deep. We want so hard. What if we could weaken our want, our will? Oh my gosh, we might get more used by God. We, we might encounter the Lord more. We might find ourselves in his will more because we weren't fighting as hard for our will. The subject of fasting will help you break your will. Help you yield it is probably a better way to say it. To yield your will to the Lord. I, I just, I've seen so many, I mean, hungry believers that have got such a conflict within them because they really want God but they also really want some other stuff that may not be sinful. It's just not going to lead them down the direction that God wants them. 
And they got these two things that are conflicting. I will to do God's will, but I also will to do my will. And my will is not the same as going the direction that God wants. Oh my gosh, let's figure out how to crucify the flesh. Let's figure out how to yield our will to God. The subject of fasting does it because I'm just telling you, there are not too many things more violent that you can do to yourself in the will of God than not eating food. And to do it of your own choosing. I don't mean it happened to you. You were in a situation where you couldn't eat. I mean you could eat and chose not to. And then when it was put in front of you, you still didn't eat it, even though everything in you was like, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat that. And you didn't. That is a, oh, oh, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember? All right. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my journey. I do this because I really don't have pride about this. I want to be helpful. Like, I'm going to tell you some stories because I want you to go, oh, well, if he can do that, then I can do that. And, and I'll tell you, part of the way that I felt empowered was by reading autobiographies of people that had did it. And like, I re- oh, oh you, what, you can do that? Cool. I want to do that. Okay. When, uh, when I first came to know the Lord, it probably took me a year or somewhere in there to find the first book on fasting or however that went. But early on, I was probably 19, I decided I want to fast every week three days a week on water. And every week, I mean with rare exception, I, I probably in the course of a few years, probably five to ten weeks out of three years did I not do this. Every week I started fasting and broke. I had a few times that I got through the whole three days. When I say a few, I mean like probably like five in three years. Now, why am I telling you that? I was the worst faster the earth has ever known. I was worse than you. I guarantee you, you'll get breakthrough in under three years. It took me three years. I was like, this is ridiculous. I am the worst. Sometimes I wonder, was all of that just so I could tell people that so that they could feel better about themselves? Every single week. And I was like, I'm going to do it again next week. Some days I wouldn't make it past breakfast on the first day. I'd be like, I am fasting. Oh, I was like, oh my gosh, I just ate that. That was an entire Cinnabon. Like I don't, I was planning on fasting. Like I don't, guys, I cannot tell you. Well, no, I can. I can tell you how many times I broke those three-day fasts. I had a commitment in my heart. I'm going to fast on water three days every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Every week, I'm going to do it every week, and I only made it through the three days like five times in three years. That is horrific. That is the worst track record ever. I guarantee you I'm worse at this than you are, but I also wouldn't let go, and if you don't let go, you get God. That's what happens if you don't let go. Oh my goodness, year three, I was like, I was mad at God, I was mad at me, I was mad at food, I was mad at not food, I was mad at you eating food, I was mad at you not eating food, like, I can't eat, you should be eating, I mean, I was mad at everything, (laughs) but I didn't quit, I didn't quit, and I finally got grace for fasting, it wasn't exactly three years, but around, I finally got grace for fasting, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, it felt like, it felt night and day difference. It was unbelievable what happened when I finally got grace for fasting. And I'll just tell you this. If you'll be faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. 
The Lord will give you grace. If you want something in the Spirit, go after it. God will give it to you. Go after it. Part of my message tonight is get a little stupid. Like, start doing some crazy stuff. Start figuring this thing out. I didn't quit. And so I remember when we started the prayer room, at that point, I actually had the grace of fasting on my life. I actually had, like, gotten to a place where that was something that was real in my life. And people started to notice, oh, Brian's not eating or whatever. And I didn't even know what to do about it at that point. Because I, I wasn't thinking I need to teach about this. I was thinking I have a private fasting life with God. And so it took a while for me to start teaching. But when I finally did start kind of talking about it a little bit more and like inviting people into it, very quickly I wasn't the only person around the community that was fasting. And people started to like actually go on this journey and try to figure it out. And people started doing crazy things. There were crazy things. Some no wisdom whatsoever. There was lots of no wisdom. But there was, a, there was an effort to try to learn how to have the grace of fasting in our lives. And in those early days, we did so many long corporate fasts. 21-day, 30-day, 40-day, 50-day. We did so many corporate fasts. I mean, there were, there were so many. I, I think, I'm going to say like a dozen or something in the course of a few years. I mean, there was probably over a course of about five years, we'd done a dozen or ten long fasts. Like, oh my gosh, it was kind of a little unnerving. It was a little crazy because I'm not sure there was a lot of wisdom in the way that that was being gone about. But I'll just tell you this. I've never made it more than 10 days on water. That's the longest I've ever gone on a water fast. But there are people in this ministry that have done 40-day fasts on water. They did it. They, like, they're humans. They're normal people that you know. And they actually didn't eat anything, and they actually didn't have anything but water for 40 days, and they did not die. See, it's, God's in this fasting thing. It's not, oh, that was in Bible times. No, that's today. I mean, you know people that have done 40-day water fasts. Wow. Really? Yeah, really. This is a real thing. The problem is we've been sold a lie. This isn't a real thing. Nobody does this. It's just in the Bible. Jesus didn't say when you fast. We've, we've been bought into a lie, and the lie is all about our flesh's comfort. I mean, I don't, I don't wonder why the lie exists. The lie exists because there is a real pinch on the flesh when you fast. But I just want to tell you, I want to destroy all of those misconceptions. Fasting is for you. You can fast. God will help you. Uh, just for a season of time, I had a full-time job. Well, I had a full-time job for a long time. But for a season of time, it was nearly a year. It wasn't a full year. But for nearly a year, I did a juice fast every other month where I only had juice and I watered it down. I only had juice every other month for nearly a year because I was touching this grace of fasting thing. I mean, that's, that's a lot of days out of a year to not eat. You can do that. I mean, that's, this is not like impossible stuff. Uh, part of the reason I'm telling you these things is because this is, this is real. Uh, computers did a meat-only fast. He didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> he did it for like eight months. He only ate meat, and finally he started having some weird health things, and we were like, you need to eat something, cereal. I don't care. 
banana. I, you need to eat something that isn't meat. This has to end. No more meat fast. Like, does this even count? It's like, to him, it counted. And like, the Lord honored it. He was like, encountering the Lord. I was like, great, meat fast. One guy fasted every other day for a year. And then, after the year, he said, next year? So, like, 366th day? He's like, now I'm going to not eat for two days and eat for one. And he did that for, I don't remember how long he got into the year before he got jaundiced so bad, we made him stop. Like, he was like, okay, like I said, there's not a lot of wisdom in this. It's just people experimenting and trying to figure things out a little bit. Uh, we had, in the early days, we had fasting teams uh, for some number of years that covered seven days a week, 365 days a year, where we had a handful of people committed to Monday, that was their fasting day, a handful of people Tuesday, a handful of people Wednesday. Now I'm just going to give you some of my experience here, some of the, kind of the sales pitch. This is the greatest soft heartener available that I'm aware of. Part of the reason, big piece of it, that I fast is I want to have a soft heart before God. I want to have a tender heart. And a tender heart is not necessarily my normal resting heart posture. But I want one. I fast so that I have a tender heart. And I can't think of anything that I'm aware of. And again, if you come up with something else and it's working for you, cool. Don't discount this. Just change. It's the most important to like it's the second or third. I can't think of anything in my life that has a greater capacity, a, a greater impact is a better word, to soften my heart before God than fasting. I want a soft heart all my days. Fasting makes me more full of the fruit of the Spirit. I touched on that a little bit earlier, but I want to tell you where I'm at in my life in God today looks very different than where it looked however many years ago. And I feel the grace of fasting, and it's like a little booster on my reach for the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I feel helped to live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I feel helped in that. It has helped me be more of those things. I've still got ways to go, but I feel the help of God in that. Don't you want that? Don't you want that help? Fasting helps overcome a multitude of the heart's tendencies. <clears throat> That's that your will thing. I've just seen so many times where I'm like, oh man, I don't even, I don't even care about that anymore. That doesn't, I mean, I care at like a level one, but I used to care at a level 10 about that. I don't anymore. Why? And I start thinking about it, I'm like, because I've just kind of like continued to hack away at my will with this fasting thing. Because every time I fast, I don't want to fast. I want to eat. And when I'm fasting, I feel like I want to eat three times as much as is healthy for any human being. <laughs> By choosing, I will fast. I will go against my will. It's given me power over my mind and my will and my emotions. Fasting helps me overcome a multitude of my heart's tendencies. It'll help you too. I'm more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I know it. Because in seasons where I haven't fasted for whatever reasons, I have felt that sensitivity to the Spirit 
lessen, lift a little. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I don't like this. But, but that's, that's how it is. It's like I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I've found that when I'm fasting, and I don't mean when I'm fasting like the days I'm fasting. Normally, if I can just be honest, normally for me, when I'm fasting, it's pretty blah. I don't feel it till I'm eating the cheeseburger again. But when I'm eating the cheeseburger, I feel it. And I'm like, it's more than just I'm eating and I wasn't eating before. It's like, I feel God more. Like, I feel more tender in heart. I, I feel a little bit. I don't mean you go from here to here overnight, but I feel a little bit of the grace of God on me more. And I normally just personally, I normally don't feel it much when I'm fasting. Uh, that's just, it's painful, but that's how it works. I hear his voice more clearly. Again, you're, you're crucifying your own will and your flesh and you're, you're reaching for God to hear his voice. He says he's a good shepherd and his sheep hear his voice. I want to hear his voice clearer and clearer and clearer. How do I do that? Part of the way I do that is I get out of the way. And by fasting, you do that. I want to encourage you with this. Fasting as a lifestyle is one of the best decisions I have ever made. I'd put it in like the top five. One of the best decisions I've ever made was to fast as a lifestyle. I know I'm the way that I am because of regular fasting. I know who I am because I, I know who I am. Like, y'all know who you are. We all put our best foot forward, you know, for everybody else. But we know what's really going on the inside. Like, I know who I am, and I know much of the way that I am is because of regular fasting for years and years and years. It is, it is brilliant. It is so helpful. And its impact is compounding. I feel even greater grace for fasting today than I did years ago. I feel even greater weakness in my fasting because the fasting compounds. So it's like, like your fasting is like, oh my gosh. And, and I'll just tell you this. I, I mean, I, I have no problem in telling you this, okay? And again, I don't, I'm just trying to be helpful, okay? So I promise you, I'm not going home and proud about these things I'm saying. I'm trying to be helpful. When I fast, I fast till dinner now. I've got so many things I'm responsible for. I've got so many groups of people I'm supposed to be keeping track of, so many meetings I have to prepare for, so many things I have to do. I, some years ago, I, I became completely unable to do that whole three-day water thing and function. So I fast till dinner, and, and when I do that, I have found, the reason I, I fast till dinner is because for me, and this is just me, and you got to find your own way, for me, I'm just being totally so honest here, it was the least common denominator where I could guarantee I would still feel his presence, hear his voice more clearly, and have a tender heart. It's like, if I fast this much and this long and this hard, I'll get it. If I fast this much in this hard line, if I fast this much, if I say, where is it? It's right here. <laughs> Three days a week till dinner. If I do that, I feel God. I hear his voice. I'm tender. I feel his presence when I preach. Like, it's like, so for me, I'm not out to try to set any records. I just want to make sure I feel God. I'm just like, I want a tender heart. I want the Bible to be alive. So I'm like, I fast three days, till dinner. It's like, for you, you might go, oh, man, that's not going to work for me. Okay, cool. It didn't work for me for a lot of years, too. I need to do something different. But my point is, you got to figure out what works for you 
And there really aren't any rules. Like, and it's, it's going to change season to season. What does it look like for you? I just want to encourage you, don't do what I do. Hear what I do, hear what I've done, hear what others have done in the community. Read some books and hear what others have done. And then start experimenting and figure out what are you going to do. Where are you at? Are you going to be one that's like, oh, I want to do some long fast. You, I want to fast, you know, a day a week. I want to do this. Oh, I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out. I want to give you permission to fast a lot. Worship team, you can come on up. And I've, just got, I've got some simple suggestions for you. Okay? I want to encourage you to do some crazy stuff. Some of you in this room, you're like, you know what? Fasting really hasn't been a big part of my life before. Or maybe it used to be a long time ago, but it's not really been lately. I want to encourage you, press on that. Ask God for grace there. I'm advertising this thing as loud as I can. It is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life is to live this way, is to have this as a real part of my life and my, and my normal pattern. Here's some suggestions. Start doing the global bridegroom fast with us every month. We do a three-day fast the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of a month. We do it, and we do it with people all around the world. Start doing that with us. Start fasting weekly. If you want to join in, our staff has chosen to make Tuesdays our staff fasting day. And so we try to fast on Tuesdays. A couple of the staff needed it to be a different day for whatever reason. That's fine. But if you're like, I want to try to get in a weekly routine of fasting, well, join us. We're already doing it on Tuesdays. Like, join in. Why not? Like, get, get this to be part of your, your deal. Try going on one of those long fasts. If you've never done it before, it's been a long time, try one. Try a 21-day. Try a 10-day. I mean, there's no... It's not like 21 is a magic number. Pick a number. 13 day, because 13 is your favorite number. I don't care. Like, but pick a long, like do, do a long fast. If that's something you haven't done before, try pressing in for that. And experiment with different types of fasting, different lengths of fasting, different like what do you eat, how often, what, what do you drink, what do you not drink. Try, try different stuff. But here's the objective. It's not to win merit badges. It's to win God. You actually incline yourself to feel him more, to posture yourself. I just want to encourage you with this. Forerunners are fasting for revelation. They're fasting for a tenderness of heart. They're fasting for nearness to God. They're fasting in order to be able to lean on God. They're fasting in order to make it. The subject of fasting related to the forerunner culture is essential because there's so much about fasting that's required for weakening the messenger, weakening the forerunner to be able to embrace all that he's got. I just want to say this as I part. Refuse to live without it as a part of your life and you'll get it. Refuse. Just make the decision. However weak you are, however many times you break fast, however awful it feels or whatever, decide I'm going to go after the grace of fasting and I'm going to get it on my life. I will not live any other way. If you'll approach this subject that way, you'll get it. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.